Okay. Ultimate Webmasters. Ultimate Webmasters. Guide to the Internet. Guide to the Internet. You want to try it again? Welcome to my best podcast. Yes, welcome to the Ultimate Webmasters Podcast, a podcast that covers everything and nothing on the internet. Today we're going to talk about a question that somebody asked me on Twitter, the best $5 I've ever spent, and highlight my top three favorite podcasts. Let's get to it. I was recently asked on Twitter by Stephen Ryan, uh, at S-R-H-Y-N-E, how do you approach splitting your time between making product and showing your audience what you've made? Are both sides equally natural for you, or perhaps you see them as inseparable? I ask because it seems like you do both at 100%. But first of all, I'm not solo. I have a team. So, you know, there's work that can be done on the product, Statomic, uh, when I'm not doing it, when I'm promoting it. So, you know, is that cheating or not? It depends on the situation. So uh, if you're solo and you've got a side project that you're trying to build and you're trying to, you know, promote it at the same time, this is what I would give for advice and basically what I've found in my experience. Uh, I found it very hard to promote my product when I felt like it wasn't done, when it wasn't the version of the product that I wanted it to be. Now, the thing is, the version of the product that it is right now may be better than what other people are using. So promote what it does. There's nothing wrong with promoting what it is and what it does now, especially when you talk about the benefits of the things that it does better than something else. If you're you know, building a to-do list app, promote the reason why you built it, the thing that it does differently, the unique approach or whatever. Secondly, You don't need to promote it until you're ready. So that period when you're building it, when you're developing your MVP, yes, there is some value to building your uh, your email, your launch list beforehand, getting a landing page up, getting a Twitter handle going. But the hype machine will only last so long. People will be mildly interested at first, and then they will forget uh, what your what your thing is, what your product is. Which let me take a quick tangent. Uh, when you are launching a product, when you have that initial email list and it's potentially weeks or months later between the point when someone may have signed up for it and you're launching it, make sure you describe what your app does in that email. I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten that says, we're live, we've launched, come, you know, download the new version of, you know, widget thing. And (laughs) I don't describe what widget thing is. And I've forgotten because I've signed up for a dozen or a hundred of these things that look interesting and I want to check out later when they're ready. Make sure that first email widget thing is a, you know, a service that does X, Y, and Z so you can X, Y, and Z, right? Do that. Okay, tangent over, back to the main point. Now, once your product is ready, it's out or, or nearly ready and you're getting close to launch, you have to start and you have to continue promoting it. If you don't have time to do any promotion, you don't have time to be running this side business, this side product, okay? Uh, so here's a rule of thumb, just you know, like around frequency of how to promote. Once per day, tweet or post something on social media. Whatever your audience, wherever your audience is, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, I guess, maybe if you're doing something really trendy for the millennials. Uh, so once per day, post something. Once per week, write something like on your blog or on Medium, if that's you know your only uh, means of getting stuff out there, once per day post something on social media, once per week post something on your blog. Just keep going. Always reply to people. 
Always be transparent. And don't worry about content marketing. Just focus on your product and updates about your product. Unless you're a massive organization, you're probably wasting your time writing all this tangential content trying to build an audience who may eventually be you know, interested in your core product. Just talk about the product. Uh, you could talk about how you built the product as a you know, sub-audience for other developers or how you designed the product if it's around uh, designers, but keep it related to your product. That way, you're, you, know, you know it inside and out. You're going to know what to talk about. You don't need to do additional research on you know, writing some you know, productivity or UX-based post that's kind of sort of related. Don't worry about that stuff. Just talk about your product, the process behind your product, the people behind your product, but just keep it connected to your product. Just do that once a day, once a week. It's not that hard. Uh, I mean, I'll admit, I don't always... Uh, you know, hit that goal. There's days I don't post anything. There's weeks I don't post anything. But if that is, if you shoot for that and you're mostly consistent, it will grow. Uh, I found that shift in going from, uh, you know, I, I'll promote it as soon as we get this feature or there's this bug that, you know, four or five people have and I feel like I can't really promote my product until we fix this bug because what if somebody new runs into this bug? And so I'm just afraid. So for a long time, for years, I didn't really promote my product. I just sort of like passively put some stuff out there. And when I decided to do this, stick to a schedule of promoting it and talking about it and engaging other people, you know, like once a month, try and get another person to use your product at, like with you, you know, like, hey, can I give you a free copy or a free license or a free year or whatever it is and, and see if you're interested in using this? Do that once per month. I mean, you're going to start to build some evangelists and your product's going to grow. So once I started doing this, uh, I'm, I'm being perfectly honest, we 3X'd our revenue, like almost overnight. It was amazing what a big difference it made. And so we went from not making nearly enough revenue to run a business to actually being able to hire another person. And so promotion, huge. You got to do it. Time for a new segment I'm calling... Well, actually. Yeah, well, actually. Today, I am going to talk about a phrase, a phrase that I don't like, a phrase that I think we can possibly fix, but would probably be better off just throwing it in the garbage. And that phrase is, I have no words. I have no words. Have you ever seen a picture on social media and the caption is just, no words? It doesn't even matter what that picture is. That is just the laziest possible caption. I mean, yes, there are words. If you're going to be a voice in this world, you're going to need to find them. That's kind of our point. But then I thought to myself, maybe maybe there was a time and a place when that phrase, I have no words, actually did mean something because we do drain a lot of the meaning out of the English language, like a lot and so I did some digging. And I found that the very first place that we could tell that anybody has found that the phrase has no words or having no words was in 1857 in this book called uh, The Creator and the Creature or The Wonders of the Divine Love by Frederick Faber or Faber. He uses it with some other words around it. And so when he's saying no words, he's specifically honing in on the aspect of something that he doesn't have words for, which to me actually provides context and it doesn't bother me quite so much when you say, I have no words. So like, here's an example um, from, from a quote from the book. 
we have no words to tell the power of God. We have no ideas by the help of which, uh, so we can as much approach to an honorable conception of it. Now, yeah, we don't really talk like that anymore, but it's, you know, it doesn't bother me. Maybe it's because of the kind of the older language that, that wraps around it, but there are some other phrases here. Uh, this is from a letter. Actually, this goes back a little bit further to November 13th, 1722 from Port Royal Jamaica in a description of a hurricane that says, and here I confess myself at a loss for words to give a just description of the horror of the scene that we as the inhabitants saw before our eyes when the terror of the sea that broke in upon us from all quarters with the impetuous force conspired with the violence of the wind to cut off all hopes of safety from this. You're seeing a different picture here, right? I have a loss. The loss for words is kind of the starting point for the exploration of the attempt to find them. I think that's fine. But if you just say no words, I'm going to friggin' lose my mind. Let me tell you the story about the best $5 I've ever spent. Right before Christmas, we were hanging out with our friends. Uh, they have three kids. We have three kids, three, six, and nine. I have uh, two boys and then a younger daughter. And uh, they were playing Just Dance 4 on Xbox at their house for hours and hours and hours and hours. They were having a blast. And I was a little bit surprised that my boys would be playing this Just Dance game. But they had so much fun that we decided to get it for them for Christmas. And uh, oh my goodness. To set this up, our kids have one hour per day for video game time. You know, what they play changes. Sometimes it's Minecraft. Sometimes it's Roblox, which, side note, I totally don't understand the fascination with that game. Uh, Sometimes it's Pokemon Online or whatever, you know, PS4 game my oldest son is into, uh, Fortnite or whatever. Apex Legends right now, I guess, which I don't know how I feel about him. That's hard to mute uh, the chat Side note, another side note. But anyway, so our kids have an hour a day of video games. And uh, in the summertime, we let them read for up to another hour to earn additional time. In the summer, it's, just, it's, a, lot of, it's a lot of day to fill without video games, and they want to. And so we find that is a pretty good balance where they've at least spent some time reading. But this Just Dance game, we have Xbox 360 and the Kinect, which I know is old, but uh, it, you know the motion capture, they just get into it. They started playing this game... And, you know, we we let it feel like an extra bonus video game time when really it's like a workout program. They play almost another hour every day or as long as we let them. They just can't wait to play Just Dance. And here it is, March 12th at the time of recording. We got it for them for Christmas. They still love this game and the 20-something songs that come with it. Now, I'm not a huge fan of some of the songs. We've had to tell them to not listen to or dance to Crucified by Army of Lovers. And it's a little bit weird that my three-year-old knows the lyrics, Hit Me Baby One More Time. But um, but on the flip side, they also know Stevie Wonder and The Final Countdown by Europe and Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. And they love these songs. And I love that they love them because I love the old stuff too. I mean, I genuinely like Rick Astley. I think that it's great music and it makes me happy. And if it makes you happy, you should listen to it. And it makes me happy to watch my kids dance and play to these songs. And for five bucks, there's nothing else I've ever spent that little amount of money on and got 
that much return for it. Just nothing. I mean, I guess maybe if I bought Bitcoin in 2009 or something uh, and sold it one and a half years ago, let's not talk about crypto. Oh boy, that's a whole other thing. Actually, you know what? Let's talk about crypto for a moment. All right. So last year, around December uh, 2007, when crypto was just going crazy, I decided to get into mining with a couple of friends. And we built these uh, crypto mining rigs. We were mining Ethereum. And they were actually pretty profitable. Uh, they are making four or $500 a month. We had five, or I had five cards, five graphics cards in mine. Each were about $280. So I put about $2,000 into a, v, uh, a a crypto mining rig, I guess you would call it. And it ran profitable for, you know, five or six months before everything sort of tanked. If you follow the crypto market, you'll, you know what I mean? Just, it, just the bottom fell out and maybe it'll come back again. Maybe it won't. I've since gotten out of it and have decided, uh, and have turned my crypto mining rig into something fun, which I love to do when possible, is turn my old stuff into fun stuff. So now my crypto mining rig is a VR computer and I have an Oculus Rift, which is a lot of fun. Now, it uh, some people say that VR is the future. I don't know that it's the entire future. It's part of the future. Uh, but it is really fun, especially the first month we had it. We were down there as a family every night. Everybody who came over, we were playing VR and it was a blast. It's kind of tapered off like a lot of things do when you get them and they're new and they're fresh. And then, you know, you're like a new video game comes out for PS4 and I started getting into Magic the Gathering. And, you know, I don't feel like, uh, okay, being perfectly honest, my VR computer is actually now in my office and is uh, connected to my second monitor to play Magic the Gathering Arena. So, yeah, it's not actually hooked up downstairs with all the sensors in the camera at the moment. But it is a lot of fun. It didn't take uh, much money to turn that VR computer into, or um, a crypto computer into a, a VR computer, just really needed to get the Oculus Rift for 350 bucks, and we've had a lot of fun with that. Uh, if you are into VR at all, my favorite games, since we're just talking about fun stuff, I love Robo Recall. That is probably the most fun when people, if they like shooters, they get into that game. It's mind blowing. Now, it's weird that that is one of the best games because it was one of the first games to come out for the Oculus Rift and almost really nothing has gotten better than that, which is a little bit, I don't know, concerning is not the right word. There's more stuff coming out this year that looks really fun. But uh, other great games are uh, Job Simulator is hilarious. You are, you basically perform these jobs in a museum in the future when the world has been fully automated by robots and you get to do old school human jobs like be a gourmet chef or a line clerk at a convenience store or a car mechanic. And this the whole scenario is you get these jobs by these robots who don't really understand what the original job was. And so, you know, you're making a pizza, but it's like a chunk of cheese on a, on a loaf of bread in the microwave, you know, and you're, you're kind of rooting around in this little mini kitchen. You hit the buttons and stuff comes out and you put the orders out. It's really fun. My kids love it. It's hilarious to watch people play. Because you can you can see people's personalities coming through, the way they interact in this room. Some, you know, some kids have played. And you can see how cautious they are. They're you know careful with the oven. They turn it on, turn it off, and clean up their mess. And then other people play, and they're just flinging stuff all over the place. And there's no right or wrong way to play. You're just interacting with the game. You don't lose points for leaving a mess. Things disappear. So that's a great game. Um, Beat Saber is a blast. It's kind of like Guitar Hero, but with lightsabers. 
Lone Echo is phenomenal. It's more of a story-driven game where you're in space and you are a robot named Jack, by the way. Uh, You are a robot and you're helping this woman on this space station trying to figure out this anomaly that happened and kind of put some stuff back together. And it's a zero-gravity game, so you float around. And uh, once you kind of get used to the disorientation, it's really fun. Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes is a great game. It's actually multiplayer. One person has the headset on and you've got a bomb you need to disarm in front of you. And everybody else in the room has a manual that you print out. And it has all these instructions for you know trying to figure out what model of bomb and what to clip and what to press and kind of reconfigure to turn this bomb off. And so that one is a lot of fun too. So yeah, I mean, VR is really cool. There's new games coming out all the time. And I think it's something to check out uh, if you have... Maybe an old crypto mining computer lying around. Uh, you probably have most of the hardware you need already. Okay, it's time for some shout outs. Today I'm going to go over my top three favorite podcasts in the episodes you should listen to to get into them. Uh, if you are a big podcast person, maybe you already know these shows, and so that's fine. For the rest of you, let's go. Number one, Darknet Diaries. By far, uh, I mean, maybe because I'm a tech nerd, it's I'm a little bit biased, but Darknet Diaries is by Jack Recider, and it is a fantastic podcast that highlights and breaks down and goes behind the scenes of some of the biggest hacks and dark events that have happened on the internet. Uh, favorite episodes, probably number 13, the Karna Botnet, or number five, Asus Gate. And this is uh, hardware that has been exploited or left open on the internet that have been turned into bots that have done some really crazy stuff uh, by hackers. And so you should totally check that out, especially if you're a tech person like me. Uh, number two would be Reply All by the guys at Gimlet. This show is just, it's great. Uh, they do this reoccurring segment that I don't love called Yes, Yes, No. I tend to skip those episodes, uh, but I love all of their stories. Uh, my favorite by far was episodes 102 and 103. It was a two-parter called Long Distance. And um, they they basically follow a spam caller, you know, like a robocaller who keeps calling them over and over again. They follow that person, who figure out who they are, why they're doing it, the whole backstory behind it. They go to India. I mean, it's crazy. It is some of the most fascinating storytelling I've ever heard, regardless of format. Uh, and last but not least, 99% Invisible uh, is another fantastic podcast. And my favorite episodes are probably 305, The Laugh Box. And they go behind the scenes and kind of show you the history of The Laugh Box, like the machine that actually made the laugh tracks for TV shows. Uh, or number 339, The Tunnel, which show, uh, goes behind the scenes of... Uh, drug smuggling tunnels on border towns between Mexico and the U.S. So 99% Invisible is interesting in that they focus on design and, you know, science or parts of culture that are mostly invisible to us, things that maybe we you know, don't notice uh, or are by design aren't supposed to notice. And there's just some really creative and awesome stories that are in this podcast. So uh, links in the show notes. I'm sure you can just Google them and find them, but check the shows out. They're way better than this one, and I hope you enjoy them. Bloop. And that's going to do it. That's our show. Thanks for listening. If you want to send me an email with your thoughts about anything at all, send that to shout at jackmcdade.com. Check out the show notes for links to things I've talked about, and have a great week.
iTunes system.